Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, what a great week. You know, spring is in the air. It doesn't feel that way. Well, I it's mean, it's a little chilly out. It's it, it, warming well, up. It's warming it's up. Warming it's up. Been you a cold know, things week. are blooming. I mean, you know, we got stuff blooming out here, and I mean, it's it's just it's just looking it's, it's, feeling like it's spring. Close. It's close. It's a great time of the year, and it's also you know a great time to measure up your finances and see if you're on track. Because we're going to talk about you know how does your wealth stack up to the average American. You know, by, I mean, by age, by age, yeah. right. We're going to look at it like 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, where should you be? And, you know, a lot of people have that question. We get that question a lot of, you know, how do, how do I look compared to, say, the average? Well, we're going to answer that question today. And I think it's very interesting because the average person isn't in that great of shape. So if you're not measuring up to these numbers, then you may want to you may want to. Do something you know, different. Do something different, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're going to follow that up with a uh, kind of a look back, Steve. This is a 10-year anniversary of the low point of the market back in 2009. So we talk about 2008 being a horrible year, but the first two months of 2009 were, were equally as bad. It was down 20% roughly in the first two months. And uh, But you know what? On uh, the, the 6th of March in 2009, it went the other way, and no one was out there waving the red flag and saying, hey, now's, now's the time to get in, but we're going to kind of look back on history a little bit, because you can gain some lessons in understanding if you understand history. Absolutely, and it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, so I think it's a great time to look back at that and see what's transpired since the Great Recession. So, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance, and I've also been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast as well as a lot of videos and calculators, retirement plans, all kind of stuff you can do out there. And we have a Facebook uh, MoneyMD page, put up a weekly uh, prescription of the week, and also a Twitter handle, MoneyMD. And we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or you can link to us right off the website. We're going to start off here, John, with the financial fact of the week. This comes from the American Association of Individual Investors. And, um, you know, looking back at uh, 2009, six days before the start of the current 10-year bull run for the uh, S&P 500 and really all the markets, um, 70% of stock investors were bearish. Ouch. So do you think they were buying? I don't think so. I guarantee you, no, most of them are they sold. were bailing, bailing at the bottom. Yep. yep. Unfortunately, I and mean, when I know a couple of those people, you know, that was hard to believe. It's been ten years. Yeah, I know it really has. But you know, I mean, there's not, um, you know, trying to figure out the. I mean, the markets 2008 were horrible. They were down, you know, forty percent, then another, you know, roughly twenty percent, and um, in 2009, and it switched. And uh, 2009 ended up, even though it started off down twenty percent, it was up thirty percent for the year. Right. So, so it's a, a 50% change. Dramatic. <laughs> dramatic. From the bottom. That's right. So the takeaway is, is don't try to time and predict the market. You can't do it. No one can do it consistently over time. So stay invested, be well diversified, have a plan, do some rebalancing and leave it alone. 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting fact of the week, you know, so uh, you don't want to follow your emotions is the bottom line. What you have to do is, is have a strategy and stick with that strategy and don't try to time it, just as you said. Okay, well, that leads us up to our first article here, and that is, how does your wealth stack up, you know, with the average American? Hmm. Um, where do you fall, you know, when, when you compare yourself to the general population here in the U.S.? This is based on an article out of, uh, out of Real Money Talk, a uh, very recent article. And uh, But, you know, John, I mean, we've heard this before. I mean, you know, people throw out the net worth of these millionaires and billionaires, like Jeff Bezos, for example, has a net worth of like $156 billion. Mm, oh, my. You know, so, I mean, you don't want to compare yourself to those type guys, right? I mean, that's obviously futile. But it is a good idea to know how you stack up compared to the average American. You know, in fact, we often get that question from clients that want to know kind of how do they look compared to most people their age. So we're going to jump into that question. And so... um you know, stay tuned. We're going to give you the answer to that pretty quickly. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about net worth. So what is your net worth? Well, your net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. You know, in plain terms, it's the cost of everything or the, the value of everything you own and then subtracting your debts. Um, and it can obviously be a, a dangerous to measure your financial health in terms of what you earn an income because you might not be saving that toward your investments. Um, but routinely calculating your net worth and then breaking it down between your investable and non-investable assets, it will help you kind of check in to see how you look compared to where you should be <clears throat> and if you're on track saving for your retirement. So I like to update mine like once a year, mm -hmm. the end of the year of year, have a spreadsheet that I have that in and, uh, you know, I add up all the accounts and <clears throat> value their house. But what really counts, though, the part of your net worth is your investable assets because your house, you know, is not really going to produce income for you in retirement. So you want to be a little bit careful with this, um, <clears throat> but it's a good measure to take a look at, you know, once every year or two. Um, so what should your net worth be? You know, your age plays a significant role in determining if you're on track with your net worth, especially as you get closer to retirement. So to help understand how you stack up, let's take a look at the average um, and median net worth of every age group and what you might should aim for at each of these milestones. Keep in mind, these numbers are only average. So, you know, if you want to be like Dave Ramsey says and live like no one else, then your net worth probably needs to be well above average. Yeah. Now, the one thing the net worth doesn't include, which is important, is pensions, right? So right, I, I met right, with a right. couple last week that <clears throat> they've, they've saved for retirement, but they have a, about an $80,000 a year pension, which is fantastic. It's going to provide a lot of income. So it does not include the pension piece of it if you're fortunate enough to have that out there. Yeah. I mean, you got to do retirement planning to get the full picture, okay? Right. Pensions can be a really big deal if you're near retirement today. But this is good. So the average net worth in your 30s, I mean, you know, Steve, the 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 30s are really important for laying that foundation so your net worth can, uh, can increase later in life. And at this age... It's really important you have a budget and um, that you're that you stick to that budget. It's also very important to make progress towards getting out of debt and avoiding any new debt, such as credit cards or new cars. So, according to the Federal Reserve, the average net worth for families in the U.S. under the age of 35 
was about $76,000 in 2016. And that same year, the median net worth was 11000 So keep in mind that the average is skewed by a small percentage of affluent Americans in the, in the median. Um, so the median is a much better gauge of what the average person has. And that, again, median was 11000 under age of 35. And so you look at student loan debt at, at about 33000 per person. It's no wonder why a lot of people have a lower net worth in their 30s and are really just getting started in the positive net worth direction. Yeah, I would focus on that medium number because that median number is the middle. You know, that's really what the average person is in that age group. So that's that's the number you want to make sure that you're, you know, that you're kind of on track and probably well above if you want to be, you know, live like no one else down the road. Um, but if you're in your 30s, make sure that you're you're use these years to set yourself up for success regardless of what your net worth is currently. You know, if you haven't already, you want to consider contributing to your retirement plan at this point and working your way up to a 15% savings goal that we often talk about here on the show. Um, you know, if your company off- offers a sponsored retirement plan, such as a 401k or a 403b, make sure you get the company match. Anything they're offering there, increase your contribution each year so you get up to that 15% total contribution mark. Um and a goal to aim for is to have the equivalent of half of your salary in your retirement accounts by the time you're in your 30, by the time you're 30. Um, but, you know, don't worry about it if you're not there yet. You know, this, this time of your life, it's most common to focus on making progress, paying back your student loan debts and any other debts that you have, getting totally out of debt um, aside from your house so that you're working your way toward financial security. So anyway, that's the 30s. So how about the 40s? You know, average net worth by your 40s, um, your goal is to have a net worth that's two times your annual salary. Um, for example, if your salary is $75,000 in your 30s, then you should aim to have a net worth of, of about $150,000 by the time you're 40 years old. Um, it's common for people in their 40s to increase their net worth by incre- investing in real estate and continuing to grow their uh, their retirement savings. Owning a home, though, that's an asset that could g- greatly increase your net worth um, since it, it can appreciate over time. But remember, a home doesn't produce income in retirement. So, you know, don't be house rich and investment poor. Yeah. Also, if you have children, this would be a good time to consider contributing maybe to a 529 plan. Um, that's a tax advantage savings plan for education cost uh, ESAs is another option as well. So um, you got to make sure you prioritize your retirement first, but you got to start thinking about college because it's right around the corner if you're in your 40s more than likely. The Federal Reserve reported that the average net worth for families between the ages of 35 and 44 in 2016 was 288000 um, but the median, which is probably a better representation, was about 60000 uh, so that's a number you got to be looking at. So while the average and the median are only guidelines, they should help you understand where you you know stand against other families in your age group. Yeah. Okay. So that's the 40s, and then by the average net worth by the time you're in your 50s, um, your wealth should begin to build significantly based on the contributions to your retirement accounts, your real estate investments, and other investments. Your goal is for your net worth to be four times your annual salary. By the time you're in your 50s. So, for example, if you're making $90,000 a year, your net worth should be like $360,000 by the time you hit 50. 
And at this point, you should consider becoming more aggressive when it comes to building your wealth. You know, I mean, to do this, it's recommended that you max out your 401k, you know, all the way up to the limit, like $24,000 once you get 50 years old, um, which means that you'll contribute as much as it's allowed. And also, if you haven't already, this would be a good time to contribute to a Roth IRA account. Um, you know, that's an account that allows you to save for retirement with tax-free money for growth, and you put in after-tax money for, with that. Um, and this will allow you to build up a tax-free nest egg for retirement, which will give you a lot more flexibility to control your tax situation in retirement. According to the Federal Reserve, the average net worth for Americans between ages 45 and 54 is $727,000. So now obviously that's skewed high because the median is only $124,000. Yeah, because uh, folks like Jeff Bezos, Bezos is in the, he I don't know how old he is. He kind of skews the average, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. So it's kind of like a, a way to think about that is let's say you had four people in the room and, and Jeff right. Bezos – yeah. Well, the the average is going to be you know billions of dollars, but the median's not. Yeah, the median's going to be you know hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. Right, right. So the median's what counts. That's right, hundred twenty four thousand. But you want to be higher than that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the average person is not in great financial shape. That's right. And uh, when you look at your sixties, um, your goal is to have a net worth six times your annual salary, whatever is necessary to really be on track for retirement at that point. For example. If you make one hundred and ten thousand, then you should aim to have a net worth of six hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And according to the Federal Reserve, the average net worth um, between fifty-five and sixty-four is one point two million, but the median again is one hundred and ninety thousand dollars. So that's the number. Uh, but again, that you know, that's not a, a high benchmark. If that's you've a been, pretty low if benchmark. you've been saving for you know thirty or forty years, um, you should be able to certainly get past that. And to help you reach your goals, you know, you may want to begin thinking about how you can lower your cost of living and capitalize on the investments to get you on track for retirement. If you live in a house but no no longer need all that space, you maybe consider downsizing. Maybe you can rent out a room or a part of the house on Airbnb. That's another way to generate some income. But regardless of how you do it, now is the time to have a serious plan in place and make sure that you're on the right uh, glide path to a um, a good retirement. Absolutely, yeah. It's time to get serious about retirement when you're in your 60s. So you got to have a lot more than the average. The average 187,000. That's that's pretty paltry, you know. You you got to have more than that. So how about at retirement, the average net worth by retirement? Um, well, you know, let's think of it this way. If you wanted to draw $70,000 a year out of your investments, you'll need to have more than $1.7 million by the time you retire. Um, you know, now a lot of people have pensions that add to that, so maybe you don't need that much. Um, but, you know, by the time you're at retirement age, your goal is to have 80% of your current salary available as income after retire. And that'll need to come from pensions, Social Security, and your investments. And that's why it's so important to start saving early. You know, according to the Federal Reserve, the average net worth for Americans between age 65 and 74 is about a million dollars. However, remember Jeff Bezos is skewing <laughs> that number way high, right? Because yeah. the median net worth of real of the real average person is a modest $224,000 by the time they're 65. Um, so obviously, the average American falls grossly short of having adequate savings for retirement. 
The big decision you'll want to consider at this point is what age do you want to start receiving Social Security? Since the benefits grow by about 8% for every year's delay, you know, that's a very important decision for retirement. So you want to consider that. But let's talk a little bit about how to increase your net worth, you know, from this information. Um, what if you're behind? What do you do to increase it? Um, well, from the investments to savings, there are multiple ways to increase your net worth. So here are some ideas to help, you know, set you up for retirement success once you calculate what your net worth is. First one, of course, is to cut expenses. You know, the less you're spending, the more you're growing your net worth. So get on a real budget and see if the bills or the spending habits that you <clears throat> have can be cut back on. Um, you know, even if it's only a few dollars, you'll be surprised how much that adds up to your net worth over the course of years. Yeah. And another thing to increase your net worth is to reduce your debt. Um, you, if you have a lot of high interest rate uh, credit cards, which we see out there, um, that may be really slowing you down on on building wealth and building that network. So uh, net worth. So you got to look at the debt snowball process. Dave Ramsey uses pay off your debt, smallest to largest, helps you get to your goals quicker. And then paying off your mortgage, um, owning a home can, can become, you know, one of your biggest assets, but paying it off is going to help you increase your net worth and give you some more freedom um, and security in retirement. So those are two really big items. Absolutely. Another one here is to invest in equities. Yeah, I mean, don't let your money just sit in some low-yielding savings account. Start maxing out your 401k, get any company match, and invest your assets in a well-diversified portfolio of stock funds. Since the stock market has returned around 10% per year over the last 80 years, you have to use equities if you want to grow your wealth you know, to where it needs to be in retirement. Um, and then set goals is the last one here. You know, it may sound simple, but it's easy to become passive about investing for your future. And if you don't have hard goals that are set in place, then you're not going to reach any. So come up with a plan with yearly milestones as to how you're going to grow your net worth over the next 10, 20, 30 years, and then stick to it and get on track with retirement. Have a plan in place for where you need to be at retirement. And once you come up with a plan, you know, then increase your net worth um, to increase your net worth. Then, you know, check in with yourself, calculate how you're coming along with your goals on a regular basis. Probably once a year would be good. And, you know, before making a big purchase or an investment, you know, keep this number in mind to make sure you're making the right financial move that's going to progress you on track toward your retirement goal and your net worth goals. So, that's how your net worth might stack up compared to the average American. And that leads us to the question of the week. This question has to do with contributing to a Roth account uh, last year, but they made too much money. So they just did their taxes. And uh, the question is, do I need to take it back out? And the answer is yes. If you're over the threshold, um, which is in the you know, 190, 190,000 range, <clears throat> there is a tiered amount there. But you know, if you're making over two hundred thousand, and um, you know you have to go through the tax calculations, but they're going to require you to take it out. If not, you're going to be penalized. Um, so you basically have to pull that out in addition to any of the earnings associated with that money as well. So, um, you know, we do have that situation periodically. Someone yeah. has a really good year. Maybe they are in sales and they go over their their targets, and we'll have to back it out. And we just put that money typically in a brokerage account. Yeah, exactly. So you want to make sure that you qualify before you make those contributions because it can be a pain to pull the money back out. Um, so just just make sure. But having said that, you do want to make your full contribution to a Roth IRA. That's a great thing to do. So 
Good question of the week. And that leads up to our next topic here about the markets over the last 10 years, 10-year anniversary of uh, the great financial crisis. Yeah, that's right. And it, it, it switched, Steve. This is March of 2009 was the bottom of the market. It actually happened this week, 10 years ago. And you know, many uh, observers are focusing on the ways this period has performed, um, and it's been very good. But it's not surprising coming off of you know down fifty seven percent period for the S and P five hundred. Yeah, and uh, it was the worst economic shock in seventy five years um, back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And uh, there were some huge financial institutions that went bankrupt. Um, international alliances were were destroyed, and um, it ushered in the most aggressive central bank stimulus that, that we've ever seen. And you, know, you had zero and, in some cases, negative interest rates. Um, and uh, yet perhaps more striking is how typical this decade has been for the stock market. Um, since the S&P 500 sank to uh, about 666 on uh, March the 6th of 2009, hmm. and uh, it reached a, a closing low of 676 a couple of days later, the index has delivered a 10-year return of you know over 17%. That's right. Now, if you would have yeah. included that one extra year on 2008, it would have been a totally different return percentage. Di- but, different picture, yeah. But typically, if you measure things from the bottom of the market, you know that's a great time to, to be buying, but no one's out there saying... Hey, now's the time to buy because it's going to turn around. That was not in the news. Yeah, you can't time it, you know, obviously. And most people didn't because we already talked about the fact that 70% of the people were bearish That's on right. the market yeah. on that day when it hit that evil number 666, you know. Um, but, you know, I mean, this, the, the gains, the tenure gains since then, you know, 17%, it's a big number. That matches almost exactly the gains. Uh, that the 10-year returns from the bottom of the 1987 market crash in October 1987, which was also about a 10% or 17% gain per year over 10 years. And after the 1982 bottom, there was another 17%, 17 17.6% gain for 10 years. Um, So, you know, when the the greatest modern bull market began, um, and even the 10 years after the brutal uh, bear market of 1974, the returns matched up as well, about 15.6% annualized return for the next 10 years. So it's pretty common when you're measuring from the bottom of a bear market, from the exact bottom, like the, you know, the day, you get some pretty incredible returns over the next, you know, five and 10 years, typically. I went I went back and looked yeah. at the S&P 500 um, for a 15-year return um, and I, I did it last week, but the 15 year return for the S and P 500 to put it in perspective, because it does include 2008 was more in the eight and a half percent range. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's right. You know, I mean, it depends on what time frames you're looking at. Time, um, time frame is a big deal, you know, when you're measuring returns. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of observations looking long-term is the markets run through good times and, and difficult times and staying or getting in, um, getting invested when stocks have been most disappointing and in- investors are questioning, whether the long-term wisdom of equities is um, is the place that they should be, they've been rewarded. So this this is basically saying, you know, don't try to time the market. Yeah, exactly. You know, and when the trailing tenure returns get up to this area, you know, it typically means that the bull market cycle um, is is pretty far along. Um, of course, we just had a bear market in December, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we hit the twenty percent down mark, so. 
You you never know. I mean, um, and it generally doesn't mean that it's the end of the bear market either. I mean, when the if one person had bought the S and P five hundred when the trailing return was near its current level in 1984, 1992, or nineteen ninety seven, there was quite a bit more time before you had another major decline. So, you know, you never know when that's going to come or how long the cycle is going to be. Um, and you know, through though the forward ten year returns from these entry points were very low, you know they were positive. Um, you know, seven to fourteen percent a year going forward. So you just you, the bottom line is you don't want to try to time it. You know, you you never know what the next ten years going to look like. Yeah, and this broad perspective, you know, kind of starts looking at a debate of um, bull markets and bear markets and when they start and when they stop and. You know, this is a good article, but, um, you know, no one can tell you when the next one's going to start and stop. Um, you know, so even though, you know, we've seen some good markets here, it doesn't mean that the markets are going to go in a 10-year poor window either. No, definitely not. Right. So other yeah. other views, the the near 20% drops in the S&P 500 back in 2011 as a late last year um, and late last year in 2018 as a cyclical bear market and it reset the clock on the new bull market. So we're throwing a lot of terms around here, Steve. Bo- bottom line is, is you know, this this is a 10-year anniversary of a very difficult event. No one can tell you when the next bull or bear market's going to be. They don't. And I, I, the thing I like to hang my hat on is valuations because, you know, earnings really are, earnings and earnings growth really is what drives the stock market. And earnings were fantastic last year by just about anybody's measure. And that means valuations right now are very reasonable for the stock market. You know, the average SPE ratio is like 16.1 in that range in the 16s, depending on what day you measure it. So, um, you know, I'm pretty optimistic that the market could do really well over the next five years. Um, Nobody knows, but we're certainly not at some frothy level like we were in 1999 or even, you know, 2007 in terms of valuations. Yeah, and you look at international markets there, you know, the international economies have slowed down a little bit, but they're still properly valued. So, you know, I think this is interesting to look at. There's a lot of technical jargon in here and a lot of charts and so forth, but... I think the takeaway is um, don't try to predict the markets. And um, what we've seen historically when the markets are down, historically it's been a good time to buy and add cheap shares to your portfolio. If you're an investor, which is a long-term type of view. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you do want to add money when markets are down if you can. Um, but you know, more importantly, you want to stay long-term in equities. We know the stock market has returned you know, nine, ten, eleven percent per year over any really long time period, and you compare that to fixed income, which has only returned four or five percent per year, and two or three percent more recently over long time periods. And inflation has also been right up there with fixed income. So you have to you have to invest in the stock market, and you can't time it. So you want to be at the risk, the appropriate risk level. You want to stay very well diversified, and you want to stick it out and not worry about these ups and downs. You know, I don't. Who knows when the next, you know, big downturn will be? But I know you can't time it, right? And you got to just ride through it. That's right. Good. So that's uh, that's it. We're going to the prescription, right? The last thing is the prescription of the week. This is pretty cool. So um, you know, a way to save. Uh, interest on your mortgage and also reduce the amount of time is to make biweekly um, payments. 
All right. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. It is. So um, tens of thousands of dollars can be saved this way. You can actually, if you do biweekly payments, um, you're basically making an extra payment per year. So you're going to be making 26 payments of um, half of the monthly payment. And it actually knocks off eight years and it saves anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of total interest cost. It's pretty cool. It's amazing how much just making two extra payments a year does that because you're making, like you said, 26 payments as opposed to what would be 24 if you were doing it, you know, by by monthly. Um, so, uh, but you know, I wonder how it compares to just adding a hundred bucks a month because it sounds like a lot of work making an extra like yeah, I, th- I think it would, more payments. I think it would be similar. Um, you know, yeah. if you do an extra hundred bucks, that's twelve hundred dollars if that's the average payment. You're doing it sooner. Yeah, uh, as well. So, I mean, I think, you know, another strategy is to round up your mortgage payment, you know, so maybe it's not a hundred yeah. bucks, maybe it's 50 or 60 right. or 70. But I, I think the point is, is when you start looking at it over a couple of decades, um, it does make a difference. You can do it early on in that process. Now we recommend a 15 year. If you can do. can do that 30 year is what we're referencing here, but, um, you know, biweekly or, or rounding up or add a hundred bucks or 150, it does make a difference. Absolutely. Adding money to your principal makes a huge difference. And our rule of thumb is you want to have your house totally paid off by retirement. Yes. And and, and, fit, and do a 15-year mortgage. So if you're 30 years old and you take out a new mortgage, great. Just do it for 15 years. Be done with it at age 45. Never have another mortgage. Then you'll be able to slam a lot of money to retirement because you have no mortgage payment and don't ever don't don't fall in the trap of refinancing your mortgage and stretching it out 30 years, stretching it out 30 years over and over and over again. And you never get it paid off. So don't fall in that trap. If you're going to refinance, you know, you amortize it over with the, the term that's left in your mortgage and you make that payment. So if you need to know what that payment would be, call us. We can run those numbers. It's, it's pretty simple. You can get on the Internet and you can find a mortgage calculator and put in the term that you want. But amortize your mortgage over the remaining 15 years that you have and uh, get it done with. Get it done. Get that's, her done. That's the key. Get her done. So good prescription of the week. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Also, check out our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. Call us at Richard Young Associates at 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.